Welcome to episode one of the Romanus Records podcast. I am Chris Banta, CEO of Romanus Records, Vinyl Chef. And this week we get to chat with Dan Cummins, highly successful comedian, creator of the massively popular podcast Time Suck, and Michael McDonald, Yacht Rock apologist. We chat with him about his childhood, his rise in comedy, time in Hollywood, being as a producer, late night appearances, and what ultimately led him to leading and creating the cult of the curious called Time Suck, and how that has changed his life beyond measure. From late night spots, touring the world, and cracking the top 20 of iTunes recently, Dan is truly a story of DIY, success, and hustle at its finest. The Romanus Records podcast comes out every Wednesday with interviews monthly from Romanus artists, bands we love, independent labels, and DIY entrepreneur types. Feel free to follow us on our socials below and check out our brand new Patreon for Romanus Records Coliseum members who can save 20% off any of our insane vinyl creations forever for only $5 a month as well as early digital access and exclusive pre-order content. We worked with Dan on his two most recent albums, Maybe I'm the Problem, and Feel the Heat, and couldn't be happier with how the results turned out. From things such as Liquifilled, Sandfilled, LED, and more, everything is 20% off if you're a Patreon member. Episode 2 drops next week with the two-piece band Lung out of Cincinnati, Ohio. We talk about their insane nearly 200 days a year tour schedule and what gave them the idea to start a garage rock band fronted by a howling cello player. Truly something unique, something we've never seen, and those are the kinds of things that we're interested here at Romance Records. So, with all that out of the way, welcome to episode one of the Romanus Records podcast. Woo! We are here <laughs> in the Dan Cummins Plaza Hotel in Cincinnati, Ohio. The yeah, Dan Cummins here on the Romance Records podcast. How are you, Dan? Good. Thanks, Chris. I uh, thanks for coming, hanging, grabbing lunch. Yeah, getting the longest Starbucks coffee ever. It was uh, coming yeah. here. I. I was worried that that nice old man in his red Mercedes legitimately passed out from heat stroke. Yeah, that was that was that was uh, weird. I've I've gone to many 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 Starbucks over the years, and that was weird. We sat there. I mean, without exaggerating, how long before we decided to park? Do you think we sat? I would behind say him? a good four minutes. Okay, four minutes easy. Usually Starbucks drive through goes uh, pretty. I, I would say maybe even five, four or five minutes. Yeah, we're sitting there. Yeah, and they're the size of a Cracker Jack box, so you're really pinned in. Like yeah, yeah, we're in the drive through, and he's at the. His car is where you're supposed to order, and you know no one ever takes that long to order. And I remember we're just talking, talking, and I remember noticing that a little bit like, God, what's going on out there? And then finally you said something, you're like, man, this is taking a while. And then I, I, and I realized, I'm like, I don't think he is pulled forward enough. I don't think he knows to order or something. So then we park, go in, walk in, order our drink, get, uh, get the drink made, still sit, and then like... Uh, no, actually, actually, as our drink is my drink is being made, look over. The guy is still there. Yeah, and there's a line of I don't know eight, ten cars behind him, and he's and he doesn't seem agitated. He's just chilled no, out. He's just relaxing. Just relaxed there. And then that's when I tell the person with the headphone, the barista, I'm like, I don't think that dude knows. I don't think he knows drive through decorum, right? <laughs> and then she was like, Oh, she's like, she's like, he's has he, has he not been helped? And then she gets on her headset, and then sure enough, he had not. But man, but I, I would say he eight nine minutes easy. That dude just sat without getting visibly totally angry. Cool. Yeah. No one honked. That's very different too. That's very like, uh, I guess, Midwest nice or something. If Idaho's like that too where I live. But if that was like LA. Oh, oh one minute. Come on, buddy. It's fucking yelling, honking. <laughs> fucking move it. 
Yeah, I was, uh, well, the guy behind him, I noticed, had a car full of kids, and maybe that affected it. It was like some big Indiana skinny dad sweating oh. it, sweating bullets out in the car with his, like, four sons. <laughs> so maybe he's just trying to keep it together. <laughs> yeah. It was wild. So besides getting that bean and eating, like, the most fattening bacon I've ever had in my life. Million Dollar Bacon. It's called Million Dollar Bacon. Uh, I mean, it was. It was expensive bacon. It's good bacon. It's like five bucks for four strips. That's four thick, they're just some, glazed, saucy boys. Saucy strips. They were, they were uh, stuck on my teeth. I feel like I need to go to oh, the dentist. It was yeah, delicious. Delicious. So thanks for coming on. I can't wait to... This is actually our first episode. We'll have the pilot. Great. I mean, this is... You know how the future works. So the pilot's already happened if you're listening to this. So I go back in time and listen to it, but... uh I'm excited to have you here on the first episode, and uh, we're going to get into our opening segment here. You uh, you were once a child. You were not always a grown man with a beard. Nope. Um, you left those those ways behind. Uh, where were you born? Where did you grow up? I was born in Grangeville, Idaho, only because Riggins, Idaho, which is where we actually lived, is not big enough for its own hospital. Nice. So when you're when you're people are from Riggins, <laughs> they're born in either McCall, which is an hour to the south, or Grangeville, which is an hour to the north, and uh, Syringa. I think it's called Syringa General, but Syringa Hospital in Grangeville. And then yeah, then I stayed in Riggins um, where my grandparents. Actually, for a while, my grandparents on both sides lived, but my mom's family's been in Riggins for a long, long time, for over a hundred years in that little area, and. My dad then went to, a couple years after I was born, my dad got work up in Alaska where he had lived a bunch as a kid, up in Anchorage for some of his brothers. And so my mom and, and I went to Anchorage, Alaska when I was about three. And my sister Donna was born there when I was five. And then when I was seven, my parents got divorced. My dad kept working in Anchorage. And then my mom went back to Riggins so she could have help with babysitting and stuff like that from her parents. And then I stayed in Riggins until freshman year of high school. Went with my, lived, I lived with my dad in Las Vegas, went to high school two years there. Then my dad randomly, out of all the places he could go, moved back to Riggins. Okay. And so now the, you know, uh, families, both sides in the area again, and then graduated high school in Riggins. Okay. So Riggins, it was, you know, the little detours in Anchorage and Las Vegas, but always what, a through line of Riggins. What was, uh, what was your high school mascot in Riggins, Idaho? The Salmon River Savage. Of course. A very... <laughs> What is a salmon river? Is that just like a real pissed off salmon? No, it's it's unbelievable that this mascot has survived with the culture to this day. Because if it was a larger school, like if this was in Los Angeles, yeah, there would have been protests about our mascot 15 years ago. Easy. It's a Native American guy on horseback, wild-eyed, <laughs> tomahawk in hand, known as the, quote, savage. Do you... <laughs> I, Not even the most offensive uh, uh, mascot in our school district. That, that would be the Orfino Maniac. There's a large mental health facility not far from the school, and their mascot they they changed the 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 descriptor like the visual mascot, but it used to be I'm I'm not kidding, just a dude in a straight jacket with goog- with googly eyes, known as the Maniac. That's amazing. Yeah, I would love to see like halftime show. They're like, all right, everybody, get up from the Maniac. Comes out there looking like Black Sabbath flailing around. Right, right. That's amazing. So yeah, Maniac Savages. Do you have any like any of the 
can you run your name the name by me one more time of your school mascot? I don't the want to forget. Salmon River Savage. Do you have any of Salmon River Savage apparel? I have an old Letterman's jacket uh, in, a, in a box <clears throat> at home that has uh, just the word Savages on it. Just sweet. But, but I, I, and they probably, maybe they've softened the visual image too. I remember just, but that was like, you know, the dude was painted on the gym wall that was the actual Savage when I was, when I was going to school. But I can't remember. Like, people have protested the Redskins. Right, right. You know, the Indians. To me, Savage is, is way, way worse. Yeah. So whenever like right. Pocahontas came out and that Savages, Savages song, was that like a big school chant? Was that a... No. <laughs> I don't remember our school chants. We did, we had some kind of you know like the Atlanta Braves had the tomahawk chop. Yeah, we had some kind of tomahawky thing, um, some sort of. But I can't remember what it was. <laughs> I, I would love to say that it was even worse. Like we had hey, uh, hey uh, oh, savages, hey, uh, like just completely just patronize American Indian culture. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, so so, uh, so this probably actually leads into a lot of like why you are the way you are. Um, so growing up. What in the world led you into comedy from like your childhood experience? Like, oh yeah, did we, you? Yeah, you know, I, I I do think. I mean, people have described my comedy as being fairly imaginative. It's a lot of like what ifs, a lot of like crazy scenarios, a lot of like weird thoughts in my head that, as opposed to just pointing out an argument. You know, I'll have elements of like relationship humor or, or, or autobiographical humor. You know, things that just they happen this way, and I talk about them. Uh, but like, you know. Uh, we were talking earlier about like Chuck E. Cheese, like weird thoughts about who Chuck E. could be with, you know, Warner. Um, I I spent a lot of time just having to make up my own games as a kid. Like, like the, the town is very small. It's 400 and some people. You're, That's you're, hella small. No stoplights. How many people did you graduate with? 23. Whoa. And, and what's crazy is when you're going to school there, there's the town itself of Riggins, which is, yeah, like roughly 400 people. But then the school. This, the way that it's so kind of uh, desolate, the area rural, I guess, that the school would pull from 30 miles in either, well, 30 miles in one direction and a little over 15 miles in the other along the stretch of Highway 95. So a lot of the kids, I would, it felt like at the time, looking back, most of, the, most of my classmates didn't live in Riggins. They would live in like the little neighborhood of Rapid River, which is like five miles outside of town, or Pollock, which is eight miles. I was Pinehurst for a while, which is Rapid 10 River, miles. Rapid River, home of the races, River Rats. <laughs> right, right. The race, some other thing. <laughs> yeah. There was Race Creek and there was Lucille and there was all these little things. And so, you know, like when you're younger, especially, you know, you go to school with your buddies, but then your buddy goes to his house, which is 12 miles outside of town. And when I was a little kid, we lived inside town. And so, you know, I spent a fair amount of time just by myself. And then there wasn't, you know, there was no internet. There was no... Do you have uh, brothers and sisters? I have one sister five years younger. Okay. But a lot of my stuff was like playing in the woods, playing on the hill, or or even just stuff like you know GI Joes. But it would be me on a dirt pile behind the house, making up my own battles uh, with the GI Joes. So so I just really like relied on my imagination. You know, we were pretty poor and stuff, so I didn't have all these. Get- and it just it was a lot of kind of uh, imaginative play uh, growing up. You know, and then I had and then I was got into like D and D for a little while and stuff. But again, more imaginative kind of stuff. And I think that I, th- I think that definitely shaped my humor. Just having a lot of time to think, make up my own a lot of, of games. mental personal reflection time in Riggins. So much, <laughs> way more. I mean, it's so different now. Kids are on their devices and stuff. You know, I didn't. I didn't. We didn't have any of that. No, it's um, yeah. I mean, I'm ten years younger than you, and it's still weird to me. To, I felt like I was in that first generation of people that grew up with computers, like right where we had like computer class. Right. It was like now it's just. 
it's like expected. Like they don't have like you had typing classes and like mm-hmm. now it's just like yo, you come out of the womb and you know how to do this, right? Like yeah. you've got a QWERTY keyboard hooked up to your flesh, yeah. right? I mean, I had a, I had a one of the first computers in the area at a Commodore sixty four, which is a model of computer that by the time you were a kid like ceased to exist. Yeah, like they were already gone. Uh, and it had like old school, it was just basically like a, used it as a gaming console, like skater die and these kind of like, you know, old school Bobby games. disc. Yep. I had the Atari 2600 yeah. gaming system and then the Nintendo. I thought you said your parents were poor. You know, they were, <laughs> they were, but like those were, you know, every once in a while, like, I mean, I do remember actually I got, I, I got the Atari when I was, uh, like five and then I had to wait a couple Christmases after it came out to get the Nintendo. But it, and it was a big deal because my and what's interesting is like I was poor, but but it's different Riggins where even though looking back I would for sure be technically poor, most of the other kids were even, even more, more poor. So it's this thing of like you didn't feel out of place. It's like yeah, it's like uh, you know I got the knockoff sneakers from Shopco sure. and things, all those kind of things. Sure. But it was fine because maybe one kid in the whole high school would have Nike Airs, right, or the Reebok Pump. Like the cool shoes, I, actually, I remember it was Lincoln Laughlin. Lincoln was like his dad had money from Chicago or something, Lincoln. and it's like, and that was like n- noticeable because there was everyone was so poor. It's it's interesting looking back. Uh, you know, you get used to it. But when I drove my wife's mom, she she got kind of teary eyed when she saw the neighborhood I grew up in, and said something like, "Oh wow, you've really come so far." Because like for her, she grew up you know like middle like lower middle class like in Cleveland and stuff like a regular neighborhood with like sidewalks and everything, right? Went to my neighborhood. It's just a gravel road loop around these tiny 800 square foot little houses or trailers. You know, we live in a trailer, grass overgrown, everything. And it's like, as a kid, I'm like, yeah, that was just home. Right. I didn't you, know you anything different. Don't think different. Yeah. Yeah. And, and it seems so reality. cool and awesome. I remember my grandma's house seemed so amazing. And it was amazing. But also, it's like, it's probably like a thousand square foot, little two bedroom, one bath, you know, tiny ass little yard there. But looking at it now compared to just traveling around the country, it's, it's, it's like, oh, yeah, it's, it's rural po- poor, like big time. That's, that's wild. So I grew up with uh, – I have eight brothers and sisters. Oh, so wow. I was never – never felt like we were ever poor. Mm-hmm. But like I, there was – it's like anything else. You just – you have certain realities that you don't realize are any different. You know? Yeah. So, um, yeah, I, I just thought everyone lived in a 15-passenger van. I just thought that's how everyone got around. Right. Um, oh my God. Definitely, definitely was not. Like we'd go to Wendy's and we'd shut that place down. So, <laughs> um, so as you got in your, definitely seems like your childhood, like most people started to maybe influence some of your comedy. Like when, when did you have your first comedy set? Do you remember? Like, do you oh, remember yeah. the place or like how old you were? Oh yeah. What was it? It was, well, it was in college, uh, Gonzaga, there was an annual sketch show called Waiting on FM, except for Waiting on Frank Marshall. It was just some theater kid before I went to school there. Um, it was like when he, him and his wife were waiting on their kid to be born, they came up with this sketch show that was basically just Saturday Night Live. Saturday Night Live for Gonzaga. Exact same format, including a band, including and a what, host. What year were you at? This was in 90, in 97. Okay, so I mean, John Stockton Mania was a decade. Oh yeah, prior. yeah, exactly. So ninety six was when I ninety six is when I saw Waiting on FM for the first time, or maybe actually, you know what? It was ninety five. Whatever, uh, the the fall after I graduated high school, and I was like, oh, this is really cool, and it was a big deal for the school. Gonzaga was pretty small at that time before all of its basketball fame, and it was like, oh, this is really fun. And I went and watched it. My friends were like, dude, you could do that. They just thought it was funny privately, and, and in school in Riggins, I was funny like to my friends, but never thought of a career in it. And then so I, but then I just decided I'm like, okay, well maybe next year I'll try out. Didn't expect to get in, get in. Next year I tried out, got in, 
did the sketch show my sophomore year. And it was just, again, I, I became like uh, campus famous after doing it. It's like my little characters I did people were like buzzworthy, I guess, in like the pre-viral days. My little parody characters I came up with became like inside jokes for the school. And, and so it was just a taste of like, oh, that's cool. But then I got into music and then I became, I was going to write serious music. And I was like, no, I can't, I can't do comedy. Like uh, I'm doing what, music now. What was the name of your serious project? Uh, Who's Lewis was our band. What, what and, would you just, what? What a genre. I mean, well, I, we did I have covers a and originals. We did half covers and half originals. Makes more money with frats if you're right. <laughs> right. And the covers, so to give a, and our covers and originals had the same vibe. So to give a, like the covers we would do would be like um, Pearl Jam Alive, Toadie's Possum Kingdom, a lot of Everclear, like uh, a lot of dad issues. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, and it was almost like, um, I don't know if you'd call it post grunge, but there was that big initial wave of grunge. And then there was like the Harvey Dangers and all that. Yeah, it was like the pop grunge. We were in like the pop grunge kind of uh, vibe for sure. Sweet. So, yeah. So that was our style. Then How I long did, did that last? Two years. Yeah, we did that, you know, my junior, senior year. And then graduation hit. And then I just kind of panicked. I'm like, I don't know what I'm going to do. I had a psych degree, but I didn't really want to get into the field. Like I thought maybe I did. I thought who's Lewis was going to pay the bills. What I, happened? I, I thought I was going to blow up. I was going to be, <laughs> you know, uh, we were, we would play parties and people, whatever, you know, you get that little taste of like, Oh, people like this and I like this and that's fun. Yeah. And then, and then my fiance at the time would become wife. Now ex-wife, she, we went to school together. She went to Gonzaga too. She was actually the one who heard about an open mic at a comedy club in Spokane that I didn't know existed. I, di- I didn't even Hadn't even gone to a stand-up comedy club. Didn't think about stand-up at all. And she's like, you should, you know, while you're trying to figure things out, why don't you give this a shot? You always liked it in school. Called him up. What do I got to do? It was this place called the Season Tickets. It was laughs. It was a season ticket was a sports bar in the parking lot of a thrift store. And inside the sports bar, one corner was walled off for a quote-unquote comedy club. Fantastic. You know, it was real low end. So this was like a club. megaplex. Megaplex. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, a small ass little comedy club, uh, which is like plywood, painted plywood, separating it from the rest of the sports bar, you know, kind of a rougher little sports bar. And so I called him up and they're like, yeah, just come Sunday and you just you get five minutes. I'm like, what do I do? I got to pray. You could tell looking back, you could tell she was just like, yeah, just, just show up. Just show up. I didn't know anything. Start talking, you get yeah, five I, minutes. Yep, exactly. And so we brought some college friends, told them like, hey, we're going to give this a go. And so I kind of patted the crowd. Went up, did my five minutes, and I remember it was uh, it was August third, uh, two thousand one. So I'm coming. Uh, I'll wait. No, two thousand. It was August third, two thousand. So this is my ninth. This is coming up on my nineteenth anniversary of my first of a mic. So you figured you survive Y two K. I can do anything. Yeah, yeah. yeah. The so world you, is my oyster. Right, right, exactly. So I I just did a little set, and it went well enough for me to come back. They're like, oh, you, that was fun. You should come back next week. And then just came back. And then for several years, it was just more of that. It was just, oh, you should come back this week. And then it was, oh, you should host this thing. But but I had a, a, a day job. I was working as a trainer at a gym. Sometimes I was working as a kind of a part-time, uh, almost like a low-level social worker counselor position, you know, with like a troubled youth kind of. So I was doing that underneath. And then I started traveling locally, little bars in like Missoula, Montana or Tri-Cities, Washington and things and just doing little sets and it just snowballed and to the point that I was like, after a while, I was almost like surprised myself. I'm like, oh wait, my calendar is pretty busy and I wasn't getting paid much, but I wasn't making dick at, at doing the, the child kind of, you know, low level counseling. And it was just an easier transition where I'm like, I just reached that point where I would actually make about the same just doing these road gigs full time. So I let go of the day job and then it's just been one little connection after another of all these years. All these years. Yep. So 
as that continued to grow, um, you actually moved out to uh, the city of uh, City of Angels, City of Flesh. Uh, moved out to Los <laughs> Angeles, and while you were out there, uh, you started to pursue and become a producer correct yeah i mean it's just it's like there was pressure especially at that time in la where if you were a stand-up and you got the interest of a management agency and an agency you felt like you couldn't just do stand-up they wanted you to try to get a tv show to try to either land one through auditions or to come up with your own you know vehicle they would call it still call it and then like sell that and so Part of me, yeah, I thought like, yeah, for sure, let's try this. It'd be exciting to try and do it. And also, it was a little bit of playing the game where it's like, I, I did underneath always mostly just want to do stand-up, but you felt like you had to show that you were maybe being ambitious to keep their interest because for them to make it worthwhile to make their 10% off you, they want you to sell something huge. And this is like a few years after, what, what year did you move to LA? I moved to LA uh, at the very end of 2009. Maybe or maybe it was right around the holiday. Actually, it was the very beginning of 2010. Okay, so we're a couple years past Chappelle, right? Like that changed kind of the idea of this whole sketch comedy and the money that could be made from it. Well, right? then what happens whenever a show like that goes big? Then everybody is trying to write the follow up, and then it becomes like super competitive because everybody's chasing the same thing. That tends to be what happens with the comedies. Like one person will blow up doing it this way. And then all of a sudden, everybody else is trying to do the same thing and, and you know, and, and follow that. And so you're constantly chasing whatever's hot. And that got pretty annoying because it's just not natural to me to do that, to try to like point my kind of comedic interest that way. For sure. But I did. You know, I pitched some sketch shows and yeah. then I was pitching some sitcoms. And then I, and then I just randomly fell into uh, reality TV as far as producing it when I had done a stand-up thing for Showtime. I think it's called Red Light Comedy. But the, but anyway, we went out to Amsterdam and a bunch of us, Kyle Kinane, Hannibal Burris, a bunch of us all taped these sets in Amsterdam and a bunch of British comics and South African comics from all, all over the world. And a guy who was the director of these interstitials, like little interviews with you and man on the street stuff with Burt Kreischer, he was doing it at the time. Okay. A guy named Todd Hurwitz. He, him and I got along and uh, met through that. And then when I you know got back home, he was trying to shoot a, or, or sell a hidden camera show. So I did a little hidden camera thing in the park one day with LA, which is a blast. Hoping I'd be a <laughs> cast member of this hidden camera show. Yeah. That didn't go, but then he got uh, hired to run. He was a showrunner to run a, a new reality show. We kind of kept in touch. And he's like, Hey man, would you ever think about like, you know, working on pre-production for one of these shows? And I was like, I don't know, I guess. And I, and then so I took one, took that job with him initially to kind of learn how to do it to try and sell my own show. Mm -hmm. But then that led to doing like five or six or maybe even seven different reality shows where my job as a, as a consulting producer was they figured out after the initial reality shows like the OC and stuff that it was very expensive to truly do it the real way. To have a camera crew or a few camera people hang out with people all day long, all day long for months and then sift through all that footage later and build these episodes, quote unquote, in post. Right. Very expensive. So they realized, what if we take people, a real situation or whatever. Sometimes it's not even a real situation now, but you take people in the situation. Like manufactured. Yeah, some of it's yeah. totally manufactured. Some of it's not. There's just degrees. But a lot of it, you take somebody doing a real job. Let's say they work at a cupcake factory or whatever. And there's somebody across the street that's another cupcake factory. Now it's going to be some cupcake war show. And so what you do is you kind of like before the show, you figure out who are going to be the personalities that could conflict. 
And then basically sitcom wise, you come up with scenarios for them to, oh, this time the, the IRS is coming down on this cupcake factory and they don't know if they're going to make any money, but then they hold a car wash and then the high school band gets involved and raises enough money for them and eats all their cupcake, you know, whatever. You come up with some <laughs> wacky thing and, and then you do all that beforehand so that the network feels like, oh, okay, I can see people watching these shows. And when you go out to film, it's real people, but you put them in these contrived situations right. where they have to like naturally right. like like uh, conflict is going to happen. Yep, conflict's going to happen. And then and then now you have like in two days you can shoot an episode and you know what you're trying to shoot and it just it makes the process faster. So my job was to come up with these scenarios. And again, some shows are way more uh, massaged and manufactured than others. Like I was talking, it was funny talking to the guys who worked on other shows. I mean, we, I didn't part, I never went into the field and did field production where you're working with the talent out there, mm -hmm. but this one guy was talking about some show. I won't even na name the show, but he said it was these women who were very kind of explosive. It was like more of like an aspirational, like some rich women and behind the scenes, they would lie to them all the time and be like, do you know what Jolene said about you? And like Jolene said that, you know, you're a cunt and they're like, what? And like would get these volatile personalities, but basically they they would like they would and then they were doing the same thing to Jolene. You know what Karen was saying? Karen said that she fucked your husband two months ago. What? And then they would get the cameras ready, and these people would fight physically, fight on air <laughs> over some shit that never happened that right, the producers made up. And I was like, oh, dude, that's so shady. Yeah, that's a that that'd be a tough way to live. Like every mm -hmm. day, you're like, all right, I gotta draw up some more terrible lies to feed to these people. Yeah. Because they're out of control. Oh, yeah. Rally TV is a weird world. What's funny to me was when you'd work with people who worked on some of the shows that have been pointed at as being so bad for America, like Honey Boo Boo, you know, where it's like, it's like, oh, God, what are we doing here? What is Honey Boo Boo doing these days? I'm so curious. I don't know. I don't know. But I remember pitch. I remember talking to the production company, and there was nice people that worked there, but it was funny how they would morally the learning justify. Channel. The learning the, channel. Yeah, TLC. Yeah, but it was the company that made the show for, the t for TLC. And the way that they would justify, they're like, you know, we really think it's a, sh a show about like, you know, getting the American dream. And I'm like, no, you're exploiting dumb people for money. Like you're making sad, yeah, who, dumb people. Whose dream? Right. Whose dream? And, but yeah, but yeah. So I did that for a while and, but always was doing stand up on top of it. So I'd like, I would do like, I would be in the office Monday through Thursday, fly to LAX Thursday afternoon, go do a show somewhere Friday, Saturday, be back on Monday for, for, for work at some production company. That's wild. So, uh, just I guess real quick, what were a few of the shows that you like worked on, like reality? The biggest, the biggest one that people recognize, Duck Dynasty. Okay. And then, uh, and then an Indiana one was Porter Ridge. I worked heavy on Porter Ridge. Okay. And then um, it was just a one season for Discovery, and I worked on like Town of the Living Dead. Leanne Rhymes, she had some show on VH1. Leanne Rhymes. Leanne Rhymes worked on that. Uh, uh, and then um, Leah Remini, her first show for like. I don't know. Do you wish? TLC, gosh, do you wish others. now doing what you're doing now with the podcast? Yeah. And if you're to the layperson who's tuning in, Dan runs a podcast that's in the pre-roll, but like called Time Suck, and very much a lot of it is historical, but there's also a lot of inside jokes and also discussion about yeah. cults and things like that. Do you yeah. wish now, being the person you are now, that you could have asked Leah? So many different questions. Well, I did ask her. I, I, I never got, I never spoke to Leah. I did interview a few of her family members when we were, because with the show that we did, it was the show, I think it was called like All in the Family, it was something family. I don't know. What's funny is I never watched any of these shows, but um, it was the one we were trying to get her to do the Scientology expose, but at that time she wasn't ready. 
And then a year or two later, she did it. And we were like, ah, dang it. But, that was the show we... But were you aware that it was coming? Was she like... I, I was aware of everything that was happening. She'd broken away from the church. And so I was talking to her family about what the church was doing to them. Whoa. So I so I did get some stuff. But then we couldn't use any of it because she didn't... She wasn't ready to make that show yet. Yeah. She wasn't ready to be a suppressive person. Right. Exactly. She was privately... She wasn't ready to be a publicly suppressive person. Yeah. Yeah. Um, that's, that's bizarre. Um, so... As you're going through all this, um, you get some specials and you get on late night. Uh, what show for late night were you on? Uh, you know, late night, I, I never pursued as hard as some comics because I've always had to kind of bend my style quite a bit to make it work for late night. Yeah. Um, but I, I did Craig Ferguson was the first one I did that that one's, you know, no longer there. And then after that, I did Conan and then I did Leno and then Conan again. And I think that's it. I think I just did four. So what? what is that experience like? Do you It's fun. Like, do you show up? Is there like, you know... It, it do, varies. Do you smash catering? Ah, uh, you get a green like, room. It's fun. Yeah, you yeah. go on there all bloated. You tell some jokes and like go home. Like, you, what do you do? You get a cool green room where your you know, family and friends can be, you know, hanging out there, your team or whatever. And then the process, though, it, it, again, it varies. Some, but, but there's usually some, there's some kind of approval process. Some comics, once they're, bigger or more in with a certain show it gets looser and the producer will just trust them to to do a good job but because of all the network there's a lot of censorship for late night shows you can't right. you can't do jokes attacking a company that could be a sponsor you can't do it's gotten a little looser the last couple of years with some but like like um fallon for example like the people at fallon were talking to me for a while back and i just gave up because just from my style they were so tight that like, you know, he's a fluffier, happy kind of guy. For and sure. Basically, my whole point of view is too dark for his show. Where it's like, ah, there was like one joke that they really liked and they were trying to build a set around it and every one I would pitch to them. It was just like, ugh. Ah, we don't want people thinking about guns. Oof. Ah, we don't want people, you know, that seems kind of hateful towards that person or whatever. But um, but there's, there's, but there's like an approval process. You got to go through back and forth to get your set ready. The bet, The most fun I had was Leno because it was a few months before he was done with the show and, oh, they wow. didn't, and they didn't care. Like it was great. Actually it was weird. They, I had a set ready for them. And then like the week before they're like, you know, it feels too kid heavy. Do you have anything else? And I just pitched them verbally some jokes in the room that never even made albums that I was doing at the time. They're like, yeah, sounds good. And then when I went out there, my set was a little too long and I was talking to their, uh, one of the producers on set about it, right? Like the day of the taping. And Jay himself came over to me and he goes, you know what? He goes, if you go long, go long. He goes, if it's funny, <laughs> it's funny. We'll cut some of my stuff. And he was so, cause, cause, and I, and I didn't know the show had been canceled at that time. Right. But he knew. And so they were just like, we don't, Real fucking, don't care. Just do it. And then, so, but, but it made me so relaxed. And I had like my most, had a fun, really fun set. That's awesome. And, and then Conan, when I did it actually after that too, he was more relaxed and, uh, or their producer was with me and I had fun there too. Yeah. I think it's, I just, for a normal person, it's, it's kind of, TV, even though media has changed so much, yeah, like late night and gosh, even like FM terrestrial radio are still kind of like some of these things that people, yeah, it's like this big pie in the sky kind of thing still. It, um, is, it is interesting that and you feel that pull still too. I mean, but it's weird how much things it's what have changed. You grew up with. It's what you, you know? grew up with. But the producer at Conan, I've had a standing offer. It's like, yeah, whenever Dan wants to do a set, just submit it and we'll start that process for like the last three or four years. And I haven't even considered putting the time. Like, I don't, it's not that I don't care. It would be fun, but 
I just know the reality. Here's the reality of late night now for like a comic. It would be me. And comics aren't on late night nearly as often these days. Right? No, not as much. But like with every once in a while, somebody their set tends to go a little bit more viral or something. But generally, what happens is you go, you do your set. Uh, it's gotten. A, I, I will say it's gotten a little better in the last two years because they're doing more with their YouTube channels, like the late night shows. You got more freedom on there. Well, no, right? they just get you to more eyeballs. Like they put okay. you on there. But but it used to be like you you work, you do this set. Your mom thinks it's cool. Your friends think it's cool. You go to a club next week. No one's there because of it. Like it doesn't help tickets at all. It doesn't help you build fans really at all. Like very little. Whereas a podcast or or a YouTube video or you know doing social media can help you a, a ton. And so it's a weird thing where I, I just haven't put a set together because I know at the end of the day it won't do that much for me. Big net gain, right? Right. And you've already right. done enough that it's like. I was like, I, I had that experience, right? It's, and, and, and I might do it again, but it's like when I have time, right? It's, it's not a priority. It's not going to affect your EPK these days. Nope. <laughs> the Dan Cummins EPK. <laughs> and is it is it just an EPK in comedy as well? I, I know what you mean, the electronic press kit. Yeah, I mean, yeah. Basically, what clubs want now, and and, and I, like I'll shoot a new special here soon that we'll get the, we'll cut the video from. All they really use now is they just want somewhat fresh uh footage like you know tv quality footage for them to run at the club the month before you come there in the coming up soon like a movie you know okay pre- preview that's the only thing you use it for the rest of it yeah you gotta have a headshot you gotta have like a little bit of a bio so do you still have care. a running headshot somewhere like the oh, 90s yeah. that like oh god i've I, so many <laughs> so many these clubs, I've, I've done so many headshots and i hate them all and it is funny every once in a while a club and i'm like really you had to pull the one from 13 years ago <laughs> when I'm wearing a Banana Republic Argyle sweater. It's a good look. And I got a goatee. Frozen in time. Yeah. <laughs> I look like I just uh, just I just got back from an audition for like, you know, Friends or something. Like the, <laughs> one of the last season. Yeah, it's crazy. All right. So I guess as like, you know, we're kind of going through the trajectory here. When do you remember, at least in your mind, what was like your first big break in comedy? Uh, first big break in comedy uh, was getting into the... Montreal Comedy Festival for this this showcase called New Faces when that was more important than it is now before again social media kind of changed everything but it was this it's a, it's a festival actually going on right now this weekend I've, I've done it a few times not doing it this year uh, I have done it a few years actually it's, it's just a fun festival to do but it's the biggest comedy festival and it's um at that time more industry would go to it before they could more easily find people like they can now. But what it would be, it was your introduction to the business. New Faces was new comics who hadn't been exposed to the industry, late night bookers, Comedy Central, network, you know, uh, talent scouts would all come to this show in Montreal uh, and watch these new comics. So when and, TV was king, I mean, this was like, this was the big this deal. This was the thing, yeah. Yeah. And so, and that, and that, my set there is what led to my first set with Comedy Central and my first late night set which at the time were my, you know, were big goals of mine. And it, it just, yeah, just gave me an introduction to the industry. So it felt like I was like legitimized. Yeah. Um, what do you remember about that Comedy Central special? Like that first one was well, it the just- first one I did was called Live at Gotham. And it was, I mean, I did have a lucky experience. My late night set did not go well. My first Ferguson set, not a good set. <laughs> but then luckily Live at Gotham, well, actually Live at Gotham was first. Maybe I just got cocky because of it. But Live at Gotham, it was nice where, it was the best five minutes I had ever done in my whole career, and, and I got it on tape. Like I murdered for like it was the best that material had ever been received. And so I was like, I couldn't believe having that set be at that time for that time. So it was like it was like perfect. That's uh, epic. Um, so 
all this keeps going. You're doing comedy. You're uh, being a producer. Yeah. You're living your life in an airplane that still hasn't stopped. Um, and you eventually get remarried. Mm-hmm. And when, I mean, it wasn't that long ago, but what made you, I mean, cause you're just going down this road. And from what I'm gathering, like this was until a couple of years ago, this was just the road you thought you're probably going to be traveling oh, for sure. until the end of time. Yeah. Um, trying to sell shows, trying to write in scripts, like hoping how long, they go. When did you get off Duck Dynasty? How long did you do that? Uh, I, I only did a few episodes. That, that I worked at a production company on other shows. Yeah, that was doing. But I, when I was doing all of that stuff, oh, uh, I don't know, two thousand thirteen. Yeah, that's still 14? more recent ish verbatim. So yeah, I mean, I mean, and then I worked at Playboy for a couple years in L.A. Yeah, and I was still doing a couple reality things while I was working at Playboy. But I think. I think 2014, 15 is when I stopped, when that ended. I think it was from like 2012-ish to 2015-ish that was the reality TV reality. chunk. And were you just like burnt out or were you just like... It's, it's, it's just kind of, I didn't want to go further with it. I reached this point where this one company wanted to bring me on as a story producer, which is you start working in the editing bay and I, and I got to work on that a little bit for some kind of development stuff they were working on where I'd, ha- I'd have to learn uh, Avid, this this editing software... And and how to I always feel like I'm messing up pronouncing it because I, I called it wrong the first time I think I called it Avid, and some guy made fun of. It. But anyway, whatever that is, like, uh, it's, like, it's Avid. Avid. Yeah, but whatever it is, uh, I wasn't going to be able to do that in stand up because they were being really flexible with me and letting me tour. But if but if you commit and they wanted me to go in the field on some shows, and and uh, yeah, I just reached that fork in the road where if I was going to keep working in reality, there was a couple exact showrunners that liked me. I would have had to just truly have just given committed. up stand up and said goodbye to stand up and then just been a reality producer, which I didn't like because with my kids, you know, my ex was still living in Washington. There was that thought of like, I liked being able to know that I could go back if I wanted to. And if I would have given up stand up, that would have committed me to LA for life, essentially. Like I would have had to live in either LA or New York for the rest of my life. And so that was when I just decided, you know what? I'm just going to. Just try and stick with stand up. So, what year did you move? I guess move back to Idaho. Well, I moved back to Idaho. It was a staggered move. It was a weird thing where we like bought a house before we moved back. But I got a contract at Playboy. It was so random. We we were talking. My son Kyler wanted to come live in L.A. Uh, he'd been bouncing back and forth like every month. I'd have the kids down in L.A. So as they got older, though, it became harder with sports and stuff to constantly do that month back and forth. Right. And so he wanted to move full time. I didn't want to try and do some weird custody battle, make things hard for, I, I didn't want to split him and his sister. So that's when Lindsay, my wife, uh, you know, my fiance at the time, she worked in production. She was a costume department in production. She worked on Supergirl and all these movies and all these, you know, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. and all these shows. So her career was based entirely in L.A. And she just did this cool thing where she decided, she's like, we got to get back up near Spokane for the kids. We'll just figure it out. She's like, I think I can try and do real estate. She she just gave up her whole career. And then I, I decided, I'm like, okay, I can just do stand-up from there. Shout out to Lindsay. Oh, huge shout Mama, out to Lindsay. Mama Hen being like, we got yep, to make this right. Yep, exactly. That's awesome. Truly. And then so we just we just didn't go up for a good career move. We just went up for the kids. And then right then I got this job at Playboy, which was going to commit me to two years more in LA, but would pay me enough so we could buy a house. So I so I committed to that, got that job, hosting this weird random variety show for Playboy's TV channel, which still crazy, insanely exists. Uh, and then one year into that contract, we'd raised enough money where then we bought the house in uh, Idaho, in Coeur d'Alene, 
Lindsay went up a few months later. I stayed for another nine months, splitting my time between the road, Coeur d'Alene, and LA. I had the apartment in LA, Woof. house in Coeur d'Alene. Yeah, it was just all over the place. Doing this morning show, doing gigs, coming home at least once a month, but whenever I could. And then I was up in Idaho full time when my contract ended in. Uh, it was the very end of 2016, and I had started the podcast. So this while working at Playboy. Okay, so the podcast. Um, what year? I guess. Why? Why did you first want to start it? What in the world made you think like you know what? I want to make this very like almost like when I describe it to people, I'm like basically imagine like a peer reviewed research type podcast hosted yeah. by a comedian. Yeah, and like what made you think like. I want to do this. Like what happened? Well, I, I had tried a few podcasts before, maybe in like 2012, 13 ish. I had two different ones that I gave little shots at Yeah, because, because again, industry wide, uh, or industry, you know, the whole, with the comedy industry, there was this expectation of, Oh, you got to do a podcast at, at some point. A couple comics had some success with podcasts and then every manager, every agent is like, Oh, you got to do a podcast. You got to do a podcast. So I did a few, they didn't work. And then I kind of went away. And then again, it was like, I'd been trying to sell shows. Those didn't work out. I didn't know what I was going to do in Idaho. I knew I'd have more time. So I was like, well, maybe I should at least give a podcast another go. And that way, if it, if it works, it, it'll help ticket sales a little bit. And then I, unlike in the past where I'd always had some thought of like, what was trendy or what was this? I just thought, what would I truly like to do? What would be if I wasn't getting paid? What would I want to do? And I love learning about weird things and going down wormholes on the web. And so that's when I came up for the concept of time suck, just to learn about something new every week, give people something to talk about, give myself something new in my head that is interesting to me. And then I, and then I just got really, I, I decided to take it really seriously. Uh, Cause I got pissed off. It was a weird birth with time suck. There was some all things comedy, uh, a few other I think there was a sideshow network at that time, but there was a few comedy podcast networks in LA and I wanted to meet, just set up some, have my manager set up some meetings because they could help market them and all that. And it was really humbling. Nobody wanted to even meet with me other than one network who then didn't like the concept, who cared so little about meeting with me that they forgot about the meeting. When I showed up, they were like, basically like, what are you doing here? And I was like, oh, we have a meeting. And then they're like, oh shoot. Yeah, sorry. And then was on their phone, the whole meeting, totally disinterested. And then Warner Brothers, my record label at the time, who I wasn't having a good relationship with, they but they did, uh, they had a CBS, they had this relationship with CBS's Play It Network, their attempt at a podcast network, and they're like, well, we can get you with these guys for your podcast. So then I went back and forth with some producer in New York over the concept, and eventually, essentially got fired from there before it even launched, they didn't want it. They're just like, we pi- can't market just for this. Pitching it, you're kind of like this idea is so dumb. Oh yeah, they're, they're like, like just. They tried to tweak it. Let's could, dip out. Let's just yeah. be done. And it was the best thing that ever happened to me, them specifically, because it really pissed me off. And I had a deal, like a, a contract with them. Did it get you out? It did. They it did with, with CBS. you right then and there? They cut me out completely and just canceled the whole thing with me. And if I would have gone through with that, right now I get to keep 100% of Time Sucks. Right. You know, whatever money I make is mine. With, with the CBS deal, it would have been 17% after all the lawyers, record label... So I get that would have, which would have killed it being able to grow. Yeah. And so, and it, so it was the best thing that's ever happened in my career was getting dropped at such a low point where I'm like, Jesus Christ. I'm like, you know, I've done specials, everything, but apparently the industry thinks my career is over. Uh, Cause you know, cause I didn't get a new, now what year is this? 2015? 
Uh, this is 20, yes, the end of 2015, beginning Man. of 2016. And so, because I had done my last hour, I did an hour special with Comedy Central back in 2010. And so it had been a while, yeah. you know, and, and we had done records still, which, which, which unbeknownst to me for a while, were doing well on Pandora, really well in other places. But the industry, as far as like getting new TV specials, not getting them. So basically, it's like, uh, he had his run. This wasn't an era, too, of like, it's so much easier to access that data right now. But right. because I'm sure because you had so many handlers with Warner and everything, right. you had no idea. No You're idea. Like, it's there. Yeah. It had like no point of reference. Well, and they cared so little about me. They didn't even tell me about sound exchange and things. So it's like, I found that late. And then I was like, oh God, I'm getting money for this. Stuff. I had no idea. But like, so, so yeah, it was like a really, like a real low point where I'm like, so I'm moving to Idaho. My contract's over. We're going to lose that money. My road money's not good. Uh, I have no, it's going to be hard to pitch shows. And I, and I even talked to some comic later. It's funny. He was telling me, he's like, God, we were talking about you at the comedy store. And basically they were saying, after I moved, they're like, Oh, you hear about Cummins. And it was like, Oh no, <laughs> oh no, no. It, it was like, it was like this tone. He said of like, yeah, you know, you had a decent run and had a good, had a good run. And now I'm sure they were expecting me to show up on some cruise ships down the road. It's kind like of when a dad plays pickup basketball and he's like 45 and he hangs up the basketball. Yep. Shoes. They're like, yeah, yep. He had to hang up his pumps. Yep. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> it was that vibe. And in my head, I was considering, I was like, you know, Lindsay was trying real estate to try and something different. And I was like, well, maybe I could do that too. Maybe you guys could have been a flip and flop. You guys could. Dude, <laughs> I was, there was a lot of possibilities. Punched each other's brains out. Gosh, that bombed bad for those two. <laughs> it's, it's a hot mess. Oh my God. But so then the podcast, so I'm still doing it just for fun. And then right after I moved back up to Coeur d'Alene. How I, many episodes in are you? Mm, at this point, I'm like 12, 13 episodes in. Sweet. N- not that many people are listening. I, I moved back up there. Eight after that. Oh, okay. And what's <laughs> crazy is big love. <laughs> I uh, I found out that Pandora was doing a beta test of this program that this, that any artist can use now, where you can make a fifteen second audio message that'll go to anybody listening to your Pandora station. And I just thought, well, maybe if I I, I do an advertisement for Time Suck on that, it'll go out to my Pandora. Because I had a couple hundred thousand Pandora stations or whatever, and I'm like, well, then maybe. Since all they have to do is click, they're already listening to something audio-wise that they like of me, and all they have to do is click one button and listen to another free audio thing of me. That might, you know, work pretty well. So I threw it out there, and it worked crazy well. Like my audience doubled the first week, and then it doubled the second week, and it kept doing that for about three months. Wow, doubling, 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 and doubling, doubling. And this is doubling. when the, the podcast is super in its infancy. Mm-hmm. This is early like, 2017. So you're like 30. 40 episodes yep. in. Yep. And then and I, you're just like, what just happened? Like, oh, it was why, amazing. Where did this giant gain come from? Exactly. So I, and I figured, and I figured I was from that. So then I'm just going, going, going. And then my agent noticed it was going and stuff. And then, uh, I, I started getting hit up from a couple companies to do ads. And then I just started getting hit up by people like the bit elixir guys that I work with now. Like the, you know, they're like, Hey man, you really got something here. And like, we don't want to do an app. And then all of a sudden everything just started coming from the podcast and and that just kept changing and growing and change things that now all of my career stuff comes from the podcast. Like it's insane. Like I've had the last six months, I've had more producers want to do shows with me than I had my entire career before. We we turned down most of them. The ones we do, every single one has come from the podcast. And a lot of them are listeners. They're like li- they like listen to time sucks. Like I want to work with this guy. They hear that the audience is growing. They see it and now that and now it just keeps kind of snowballing. And it's this crazy thing. My wife and I just, we just like talk about it. We're just like have moments all the time. We're like, is this happening? Because we moved up to Idaho fully expecting to scrape by, do start the right new, thing for the kids. New jobs. Start new. a new life. 
and now the life I always was trying to get in LA and the fan base I always wanted. It's in freaking Idaho. Home it's in Idaho. Of the salmon. Salmon River Savages. Salmon River Savages. <laughs> yeah, Coeur d'Alene, Idaho. 50,000 people up in the panhandle. Now we got a couple full-time employees and we're launching new shows and uh, it's a different world. It's incredible. Do you, yeah, like, do you remember just how, I mean, the excitement of just some of those early episodes and be like, what in the world's happening? Like, what oh, it's, it? it's still, the, the, it still hasn't waned. We're still in it. But yes, absolutely. We're just like, what is happening? So I feel like you had a pretty big moment a couple of weeks ago. You broke into the top 20 in iTunes. Yeah. Well, and that, yeah, we broke into the top 20 in iTunes. Uh, they just got rid of the comedy chart like last week, which is a bummer on iTunes. But we broke into that. We had done it once before. It's, uh, well, I mean, there's, there's secret hands. They, they, you know, yeah. the hands that were trying to make you go on cruise ships are now like, now they're like, nah, <laughs> now we got to squash this. Do you hear about Cummins? Yeah. Got yeah. rid of the iTunes comedy charts. I got to push him back down. <laughs> no, but, the, but we had done it early on where I found out nobody really knows. Uh, iTunes or Apple's secret analytics, but but I know that when you first have a show, it's easier to go higher in the charts because it's something based on like new listeners compared to how many listeners you have. For sure, and so so but, I'm having you on the first episode. <laughs> but what was but yeah well yeah yeah I but what was cool about this last round was that I didn't do a bunch of promo. It was the first time that somebody on Reddit just mentioned Time Suck. Yeah, Logan over at Axis was telling me about. It that. was crazy, and it got like th- like thirty five thousand upvotes or something. And just that mention on a Reddit thread through Time Suck. But things like that are starting to happen now. It's been weird. The last couple of months have been super cool where even on vacation, like in, in airports, people are like, hey, man, love what you do. Hey, man, can I get a picture? But from a podcast, and a lot of times, they're, and then they find out about stand-up or maybe they were stand-up fans and now they found the podcast. But I just love that I can do that from Idaho. And, and, yeah. and, and just, just last week, I had the craziest conversation I tried to sell a show for so long in LA, nothing, never got a whiff of getting close. I mean, I don't even know how many shows I pitched where you put together a thing, you go through your manager agent, you get like five meetings only to get no interest over and like year after year. Uh, just did, I did some random audition on Skype from vacation, just talked about some new show, the production company, and then the network reached out to my agent. Hey, we want this guy for the show. The show hasn't got officially greenlit, but if it does, I guess they want me for the host. And, and it's, things have changed so much that he's like, eh, maybe. He's like, but you don't have to do it. Yeah. He's like, the po- he's like, if if it doesn't leave you enough time for the podcast, he it's goes, not worth it. then it's not worth it. Yeah. And it just, it's, but I, so I love it. I love it. My, so I have no plans right now other than just to try to put out the best stuff we can from Coeur d'Alene, keep getting better at stand up if I can, and go do shows 25 weeks, uh, weekends a year, and then that's it. That's awesome. As Rinse someone, and repeat. As someone who lives, you know, in not a uh, media mecca, I live mm-hmm. in Indiana, and I love Indiana to death. Yeah. I love hearing that someone from Idaho is having more success in Idaho than L.A. Yeah. Like, and how all that is shaped. I think there's such a, a view in the world sometimes that you got to move to one of these big right. staple cities to, to make it, whatever, especially in the entertainment industry. Yep. But and I think- you don't now. I yeah, it's just like, can you make something that's truly unique and engaging? And like, and with modern technology, like it's crazy. We just got our studio set up for video for the one of the new shows. You, I mean, for like YouTube quality, I think it looks amazing. We're tweaking with the lighting. What's crazy now is you can truly do everything yourself with a very very small group of people who can just learn through YouTube tutorials how to yeah. do all this stuff. You can get to, you can make a show like a legitimate from anywhere. And you get it on YouTube. It's like, yeah, is it going to have like um, Hollywood big budget blockbuster? No, no it's not going to have no, that. But no one knows. Like, it, there's right. 
you didn't have to get a back lot. Like there's n- no none of that matters. Doesn't matter as long as it's engaging. Nobody cares now. Like my kids, I, I noticed really things had changed. I have a 13 and 11 year old. Yeah. When did your son decide? Like, when did L.A. stop being this? Like, I want to be an L.A. thing. Like, cause oh, he said, still loves L.A. Still loves L.A. Yeah, my kids like they might. They who knows? They, I, I wouldn't be surprised if one of them moved back down there because it was just cool another way. They like the the variety and different and the lifestyle. Yeah, I mean, it's cool. Yeah, and but um, they love traffic. They oh yeah, that's the thing. They don't they don't remember the tra- they didn't have to drive in the traffic. But uh, they the kids like my kids now and the, just kids in general they don't talk about TV shows. They don't talk about movies n- nearly as much as they talk about YouTubers. It's yeah. all about YouTubers, and it's about people who are Instagram stars. Some version of social media famous. It's crazy how much they know, how much their friends, their friends talk about like these various YouTubers having battles or this Instagram person saying something about this other person, uh, again, from like YouTube or from Snapchat or whatever. Uh, it's called an influencer. Yeah, these influencers. <laughs> yeah, they talk about these influencers in the way that I used to talk about like pro athletes. Right. It's, it's 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 everything's changed so much, but it's in, for what we do. I love it because well, the content. You, you the reality is, you can send so much. The you like you said, you can create content so much faster yeah. now on your own without yeah. needing to hire a bunch of people. It's just oh, a totally different world. It, it's it's amazing with Patreon, which has been so good. Well, it's like like I have an uh, it's even like now with the podcast, I have an ad agency for sponsors. Yeah, and they and they maybe have they have let's say some really really big like NPR type podcasts that you know take more of their time, and so you don't get as much time or as much you know thought put towards getting ads for your podcast. But what's crazy now is you don't even need them. Where I've had this thought where it's like once you have the inventory of you know you're getting so many downloads or whatever, I'm going to launch these new shows. The the last step I would have to complete in all this is just to get my own in house salesperson to connect those ads. And then we are truly 100% self-sufficient in every way from the industry. Because now we have somebody monetizing the product we have in the same way other LA, Chicago, New York-based things are being monetized. Like you can have it all. You can have your own app built. You can you can be on all these third-party platforms. If some big, if iTunes is like, well, now we're doing this. If you can like, all right, well, then there's going to be plenty of other channels still. Right. You know, it's, as long as they do that net equality thing, as long as they don't let the net become run by the the Amazons and things and the Netflixes entirely, which I understand why they fight for that now. As long as the the net can, keeps a little bit of wild, wild west, then this this should stay for a long time. Should keep going. That's amazing. So, holy smokes, went through a lot there. So, I guess a, a few more questions um, of like just more meat and potatoes and then I, I just want to get into some some stupid questions and get to know What's really important about your life? The, sure. the important things. No. So like what, you know, as a comedian now, how do you feel like you navigate through the culture of comedy? Like just, you know, I hate the word. I think I wish there was a less triggered word, but like, you know, PC culture sure. and stuff like that. Like, um, has that affected your comedy at all or? Yeah. You- it makes you address certain things differently. Yeah. It's funny. Like I make fun of the word triggered now in my new set. Where I just talk about how that to me is a completely first world problem. Where I'm like, I'm like, I'm like, do you understand why people in other countries hate our culture? I'm like, I'm like, they're dying. People are starving to death. Yeah. And we're worried because somebody said a term we didn't care for. For sure. You know, I'm like, fuck off. I'm like, I'm like, get some real problems. You know, and so it's like, it makes me double down on my, what I like about it is it makes me rethink my beliefs. 
And if I decide, I think the, uh, the, 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 real, the real job of a comic is to stand up to their culture and be like, no, what we're doing right now is fucking dumb. This is stupid. And here's why. And right. so, and, and so, be able to laugh about it so that you can yep, digest it and make it palatable through laughter. Yeah. And so it's like right now with a lot of stuff. And yes, there's validity to uh, a lot of validity to for like the Me Too movement and for things. Sure. But, then, but then, but then there becomes people who take advantage of movements and they take it too far. And then it becomes witch hunty. And so you know, it's like that stuff. There's, there's good always, things and bad there's, things. There's always, yeah, good, there's bad, always both. excess in all of it. And I think like as a comic, it's like, yes, our culture has gotten tighter. It makes me, actually it makes my comedy darker because I'm like, oh, oh, really? No, you th- you, you're being silly if you think this is too far. We're going to go way fucking farther than that now. <laughs> you know, like I do a joke too where I talk about how like, all right, if we want true gender equality, then uh, I think both men and women should be able to have their asses beat in public. You know, it's like equal. Oh, I, I, I say equal pay. E- Episode one on the Romance Records I say, podcast. I say equal equal pay, equal beatings. <laughs> but it's like, and it's a joke. But there's also what I love is like thought provoking things behind it, where I'm like, because and that comes from this thing that I think is funny, where and not all women, you know, you can't ever like stereotype on that kind of stuff. But I just my opinion is that a lot of people are like, oh, I want equality except for these other things that have historically or traditionally been kind of more favored to me. I want to keep those, yeah. but then I want to also add these other things. And it's like, no, 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 no. No, you want it raw? You want it really? This is how it looks? You open the door for me now. You know, you do that like, 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 or you want to like flip things. And so I love just, um, my favorite thing to do in comedy is to apply heartless logic to emotional issues. You know, and so like I talk about more racial things now than I have in the past and more gender things because I'm like, no, 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 I'm not going to fucking pretend that all of these thoughts you guys are having, you know, in, in, in the in the zeitgeist right now are good thoughts. Yeah. Holy smokes. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. I like it. It fires me up. No, I could see that. I saw like uh saw that Harry Potter vein on your, your brain start <laughs> to flex out when you start talking about it. Um, Last two questions before we just get into the, some silly stuff and get going. Um, I mean, who are some of your big influences in comedy? Uh, the biggest one is, is George Carlin. He's always okay. been my favorite since I since, since I really got into stand up. He's been my favorite, I should say, because um, I didn't watch as much stand up as I as I should have before. But anyway, well, they didn't have TV. <laughs> they didn't actually have TV for a while. we had like three channels or something off a of reflector for a while. But um, but yeah, Carlin. What I liked is. Do you remember when you first got like cable or satellite? I was the same way. And I was oh, like, yeah. We, we got the like, crazy big satellite. Yeah. And I was the like, giant Whoa. satellite. I was like, this is epic. Oh, yeah. It was incredible. It was amazing. Yeah. It's, oh, we, yeah. And I love this. Our satellite was, I don't know, 12, 15 foot. What is, what is it? Not radius uh, in diameter. Like it was enormous. Oh, yeah. Like space one. Yeah. Oh, yeah. One we had like ready to old like, school, big concrete slab. That's amazing. It fucking turned to three different <laughs> positions to face the right part of space. Like it was crazy. Uh, but yeah, go car- out there, son. Turn that satellite <laughs> yeah. around. You could hear. No, you'd have to push. There was like a button on the remote, and then you'd hear the. <laughs> and then it'd go to the next spot. See, kids, kids won't get to have that now. Nope, they'll nope. miss out. They're missing out on the on the space space technology. Uh. But but Carlin, what I liked is I liked how he did what well, I mean. What I'm trying to do in my own way right now. He tried to just be a mirror to society and say the things that were uncomfortable and, and bring up uncomfortable discussions and just point like out like, no, 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 you're wrong. And he was, I mean, he was the master at it way, way better than me. But he, he just like, you know, especially later in his career when he had made his money, he didn't need to keep doing it. His last specials are my favorite where they are fucking vicious, but, but he's right. Like in my opinion, like he's saying the most caustic things, 
but with thought, you know, and he would, and he just doesn't care about your feelings. He doesn't care about, you know, like what issues you hold near and dear to your heart. He just applied brutal logic in the funniest way to me, to, uh, to his humor. To me, that's like, that's the goal. That's the goal. That's the goal. Like, uh, you know, just to, just to get more confident in that. And, and cause it is funny as you get older, at least with me, it's like, I used to worry if somebody came to the show and, and what if I touched on something that was close to them and they got their feelings hurt, but then you play that out logically and it's like, well, then if you take that too far, you can't talk about anything in kind of a dark way or whatever. Right. And now I look at it like, that's your problem. I'm going to say what I'm going to say. I don't know you. And, and, and if you get really, really hurt by what I said, then you've invested way too much emotional energy in my words. And maybe you're not totally comfortable with your belief if it's if, if it's that fragile for being you, challenged. that's that, that's you. That's you. It's like that's a you thing. Well, that's yeah. part of being able to have an open discussion too. With and maybe that's part of why things are so polarized now is that right. We insulate ourselves so much with our own like you know sound room and then just exactly we hear echo every, chambers, echo chambers like all day. And so that when someone says something that's different than right what we buy into or believe yeah. in or whatever, it's. It like it riles us up because they're like, oh, yeah, I didn't even think people thought like this. Yep. It's like, well, yep. you you hang out with all of the same people, like, exactly, exactly. So yeah, I think it's reflective of kind of the world we're living in. Um, mm-hmm. Last little question: How many shows a year do you think you probably do? And comedy is different. So like a normal yeah, weekend for you, night sometimes. Yeah, a lot of times you'll do like one Thursday, two, two Friday, Friday, two Saturday, Saturday. sometimes yeah. three Saturday. Yeah. Goodness. So like how many shows, like maybe last year, how many shows did you do roundabout? Yeah, man. I never even keep, oh, let's see. Well, let's see if we did two, let's see, let's say it was 30 weekends and then you average five. I mean, I don't know, uh, probably around 150, 160 shows. Okay. Yeah. It's pretty, pretty solid little clip there. Yeah. Is the nice part, is it nice that you're just mainly having to do weekends, not having to do like the Monday grind or anything like that? Oh like, yeah. It's really <laughs> nice. It's nice to be able to say no now. It's like now if we do like an, an off, like a Sunday or Wednesday or two, it, it's, it's, we're doing one night at a place like next weekend I'll do Friday, Saturday in Charlotte and then I'll do uh Sunday in Richmond and just, you know, bounce after that. Um, when you were younger, were you doing a lot more like, all right, Monday, I'm going to do this open mic here at this place. Hopefully, I'll get yeah. like 20 bucks. Tuesday, right. woof. Right, right. Yeah, doing a lot of those. Now, it's like I, I I think you get more efficient the longer you do it with stage time. And so, I don't work out material at random shows anymore. I just um, work out bits in my regular show. So, like last year, I didn't do any. I only did my shows like last year. I didn't do a single other random show. Yeah. Do you think like do you feel like the podcast helps give you a weird space to kind of work some stuff out too? Right? Oh, for sure. Because it just naturally like you're learning about so many things deeply every week that I'm right. sure like there's just things that come out of that where you're like, I can't oh, believe yeah. that. Like it changes what you can maybe talk about. And it also makes you more confident in your voice. What I like about Time Suck is like, you know, if, if I'm wrong about something, the audience calls me out. And then I call feedback. myself out. I get immediate feedback. And so but it also has taught me to really research things in a different way and really go deep and really try to be thorough so so I don't make a bunch of mistakes. And now I applied that to my stand-up where I really, really think like what I'm saying might be really offensive to you. But if you want to come at me, you better come with more than just I didn't like it because I put a lot of thought into my opinion. Yeah. Like I've backed it up with a lot of logical thoughts. I have reasons for why I've said it. And so if you just have like, well, you're wrong. Do you carry like, just like a little briefcase better. with like papers like supporting? <laughs> you're like, well, if you see here. Yeah. Yeah. Well, but it just gives you so much more. Con- it, it makes the performance better. Because it's not a wishy-washy You're delivery. not questioning what you're saying. Nope. You're like, I'm it's like, in. I firmly believe. And, and that way, it, the, if the crowd gets weird or tense, 
Okay, well, that's that's you. Well, a perfect example. Last night I was doing, you know, certain parts of the country. I bring up certain religious things and people get real tense. And that used to be like, oh man, I'd feel bad. Now I'm just like, I get it. You're conditioned in a way that I, I'm not into. I, I think you could do better. But like, but that's how you were raised and that's how you choose to live. And that's fine for you to think that what I'm saying is very sacrilegious and horrible and wrong. And maybe I'm going to burn or whatever. No part of me believes that at all. So I'm going to deliver my thing with, with confidence, regardless of your level of comfort. And if you get real uncomfortable, it's not going to bother me because that's, that's, uh, I, I know, I think I know why. And, it, and it's not because I've said anything inherently wrong. I've just said something that because of your belief system, you think is inherently wrong. And I know that you can't know that yeah. that's your opinion only. And you know, and it just, uh, yeah, I don't know. Just so, but, but time suck is like, it's made me think about things so much harder than I ever thought about them before. That's, uh, I mean, that's a good quality. So, uh, so as we jump out of that, just into our last little, little junket here of just the real important questions in life. And I, I've got a few and this will be rapid fire ish. Okay. So, uh, what was your first car? Uh, 1982 Robin Egg Blue Chevy Citation. Got it from my aunt. That's amazing. Uh, 500 bucks. Was <laughs> How long did that last? Not long. Not long. She had got it from my grandparents. They've been in the family for a while. I think it Chevy, ran the, the family six Chevy months. Citation. The family Chevy Citation. I think she got the good end of the deal getting the 500 bucks. I think it ran about six months before it. Uh, some some big part of transmission or something went out. Cool. <laughs> what was... Uh, What's your favorite food? I ask a couple just like little layups. Oh, yeah. Favorite food? Uh, tacos, probably. Tacos? Okay. Um, so, and this one, this will give you a little you should more. Be spaghetti. I feel like now, spaghetti. I feel like I was lying there. Did but you? now that I'm older, the, the red sauce sometimes gives me a little harper. Oh. So. <laughs> <laughs> you got a thumbs up before. I got a thumbs up for my spaghetti now. That's all. Uh, your, your worst. <laughs> what was. Uh, what is your worst comedy show? Do you remember just bombing? Like what? What happened? Like yes, can you think Tin, of one? The Tinsley Island Yacht Club, uh, in in near San Francisco. In this what year, what it would have been about two thousand five, and I got hired to do a private show, which I don't like doing those anyway. I I, I say no to those now, f- f- last couple of years, um, and I got it was a stag party, and I didn't even know what a yacht club was. It was literally a small island in this delta that goes into the San Francisco Bay of nothing but yacht owners, like extremely wealthy dudes. Sounds exciting at first, I'm sure. It sounds exciting at first. Yeah. <laughs> and then you, and it's just like stiff, very wealthy dudes who I was young. They wanted nothing to do with my sense of humor. I was hired to do an hour. You can't get off the little island, you know, uh, right away. You're stuck with these guys. <laughs> there was about 300 of them to start the show. I did my hour to state contractual obligation. After about 10 minutes, there's probably 30 left. The rest of just wandered over to a bar. And then by the very end, it was like 10 people. They just, good. out of politeness, just stay there. It's like I walked like 290 out of the 300. And and then and then couldn't get off the island. Had to stew in my right, failure. As soon as you're done, you go over to the same bar where everyone else is at. Well, luckily, they arranged a boat oh, to get gross. me off quick. Like, they hated me that much. So, I, But I had to just like sit by myself for like an hour. Oh, it was terrible. They didn't want to pay me. They thought I had thrown the show. Uh, you're like, oh, this is God. it. These are the jokes. I'm like, these are the jokes I have. <laughs> I wanted it to work. No one wanted it to work more than me. Sorry, you guys hated my guts. Oh, that's that's beautiful. Um, have you ever been physically 
or otherwise assaulted by a fan at a show? Uh, I have, yes. I have I have had a, a fan come up on stage one time. I had to push them off of the stage. And then one other time in Cleveland, a girl, a lady after the show wanted me to apologize for making fun of her. For She fell down drunk in the middle of the show. She was a terrible person, an audience member. I, I refused and just to have a good night. She she refused to let it go and ended up grabbing me, and then uh, that was uncomfortable. I think I had to say to her, I'm like I'm like I think I actually said I'm like bitch, I'm like I'm like if you put your hands on me again, I'm not gonna do anything to you. But that guy behind you, I'm like I'm gonna beat the fuck out of him, and that's gonna be on your hands. And then luckily people broke. I got very aggro because I was like you just you fuck you can't just grab me like you fucking grabbed me. Oh, you're aggro and so hard. You're- <laughs> <laughs> but comedy's weird that way where you're right there yeah well it's, it's like they forget like that you're just a human being and that you have no separation it's like okay you no, can grab nothing. me yeah. but like but i can also punch you in your fucking face it's like i'm not i don't owe you anything this is, this i don't owe you shit right exactly oh man um how do you typically shut down a heckler honestly it's the easiest thing some people have stock lines or whatever i don't like that I just stop the show. It's like it's like a, a teacher in a classroom where somebody's snickering in the back, and you, hey, hey, everybody, let's quiet down. Uh, John has something he'd like to say, and you put the spotlight on him. Ninety-nine percent of the time, that alone kills it. Where they're just like, oh shit, everybody's looking at me now. Uh, and then I just, if they, if they go a little further, I'm just like, so what were you saying? And then if they try and say something shitty, I just repeat it. I'm like, oh, I don't fucking like his jokes. And then I just, and then I just point again, just go back to logic. I'm like, hey, remember when somebody. Uh, nailed you, you to your seat. Paid to be here, right? I mean, yeah. Well, and, and also, I'm like, I'm like, remember how like they told you you couldn't leave uh, until the show is over? That they would like force you to stay in the room. You know, no, you don't remember. That's because it's not true. If you don't like it, just get the fuck out of here, and, and just make that like very apparent. And then you, that almost always works. And, and if it doesn't, the only times that stuff hasn't worked in the past with me is if they're drunk, and if they're too drunk to understand reason, or in the very rare case, just a horrible person who wants to be confrontational. Then I just have them thrown out. Then I just tell the staff, I'm like, hey, we need to get this person out of here before the show continues. And have some, you had to do that in a long time? No, I haven't had to do it, luckily. Knock on whatever. Yeah. But I've done it plenty over the course of my career. I've had plenty of uncomfortable uh, moments. You uh, you escorted out the nice men at the Yacht Club on your own, apparently. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. That <laughs> um, was when the whole crowd was heckler. Uh, at what point did you decide that uh, chicken pot pies was a good choice as a late night snack? I don't know that I've ever made that particular decision. I, I've, I've always gone into it knowing it wasn't a good choice, but it's a delicious choice. Uh, you know what? The chicken pot pies, it reminds me of uh, growing up. Back when, like, that was now, I'm just like, oh, my God, Stover's chicken pot pie. Like, or, but but that, I had that kind of stuff, hamburger helper and stuff as a kid. So every once in a while. Box. It was all boxes. All boxes. mix it up or put yep. in the wave. Yep. So it's just nostalgia. So, yeah, last night they had it in the lobby. I remember seeing them. I checked them. like, look at those little chicken pot pies. I sure love enough. that you, you're in a nicer hotel uh, of sorts. Like I love that. Like what is deemed part of being in a nicer hotel right. is that chicken pot pies are more ex- right. readily accessible <laughs> to the masses right, instead right. of just like a candy bar. <laughs> right, exactly. Maybe yeah. that's just because you're here in the Midwest. Maybe that's more. I mean, I'm surprised. It is rare. I was surprised too to I'm see. I'm surprised it. Like, there just rare. wasn't a tenderloin you could just heat up in there or something. Right, like right that. now, chicken pot pie. Um, hey there, buddy. You had a long night. Why don't you go sell your tummy down with that pot pie? Um, <laughs> and then these two questions are kind of intertied. Um, are you a shower man or, or a bath man? Oh, shower all the way. Okay. Um, 
we all make mistakes. And then um, <laughs> the other question, though, relating to that, um, you recently just got a hot tub, correct? Just just got it. Only been in a few times. Okay. Yeah, loving the hot tub. I came into ownership yesterday, and yeah. um, what what is what what is it that attracted you? What was the sweet, savory allure of a hot tub? Like what made to you me, want one? The allure of the hot tub is in where I live in Idaho in Coeur d'Alene. It gets it's high enough latitude wise. Or once it goes into the winter months, it gets dark real early. It's 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 just gray kind of during the day a lot of time. It gets real cold. I don't ski and snowboard, so I don't do like the winter sports. So I truly just wanted a hot tub because I wanted to look forward to something I could do outside all winter long. And I love like growing up as a kid, there was this hot springs thirty miles from Riggins. Called Zim's Hot Springs. Still I've taken my kids there, still there. It's the best to go in the winter where there's snow on the ground and then you're like you're Climbing out of the hot springs onto snow. Yeah, you're doing that little sprint back. Oh yeah, but it's so it's like with hot, I just look forward to like sitting there. It's snowing outside. There's snow in the yard, but I shovel a little path off the back, you know, slider to the hot tub, and just that being able to enjoy being outside when it's 30 degrees or whatever. Just I, I love that feeling of like cold air and then a hot hot oh, tub. It's amazing. Um, I mean, I ter- apparently it's terrible for your blood pressure, but to do both like that, yeah. We'll worry about that later. I got low blood pressure in my family. I'm good. Oh, it's good. I, I need to get mine higher. And, <laughs> and then the last question for the podcast is, uh, at what point did you decide that you were all about just animals in the bed? When did you decide that you were an animal oh, bed? Oh, yeah. That was, that, was, that was not even my decision. That was my wife, which was funny because we got this dog, Penny, and uh, Lindsay was very adamant about, okay, we're getting a dog, but... We're not going to have the dog on the furniture. We're not going to have the dog on the bed. We're not going to have the dog do this. We're not going to have the dog do that. We're not going to live like savages. Right. So many rules. Gross people do this. Gross people do that with their dogs. All the rules have been broken. Like having a room in your house for your lizard or something. Right, right, right. All all the room is broken. And then now, I think it was like second or third night, she couldn't handle the whining. She just felt so bad for Penny, like crying in her little uh, pen. Was she in the pen? Yeah, she was in a little um, crate. Hmm. And then what they, they told you, yep, doing that. And so she's like, okay. And then, and then never stopped. And now, now she gets sad. Now it's hilarious to me is if Penny or Ginger, she'll complain about them nonstop about taking up too much room. Oh, I didn't get good sleep last night because the dogs and you were hogging the bed. Dogs, blah, blah, blah. So many times come to bed, one of the dogs will hop off the bed. My wife immediately gets sad because she thinks that they're sad or something. Like they, like, like somehow she did something to make them think they weren't wanted. And then she won't go to sleep. So come on, Penny. Back up. Come on, Penny. Back back up with mom. Snuggle with mom. Come on, Gigi. Snuggle with mom. And then once the dog's there, then she goes to sleep. And now she's taking it even further. She's I'm pretty far. She's gone even farther than me. This is so gross to me. She will share a glass of water with one of the dogs. That's disgusting. It's so fucking gross. The dog will lick out of her own water glass. And I'm like, no. No, no thank like, you. What? No, thank you. No, thank you. She she feels like if they look thirsty and they want some of mom's water. It's unreal. But she'll take a drink after? Like Yes. Man. That's gross. Like it's I, gross. I, your wife is a really nice lady. <laughs> yeah. And but I now look at her differently like yeah. some sort of nice lady. They're human because she's, she's your wife and I would never say anything. No, bad no, about but her. it's it's like okay? with Kyler and Rose. As we learned a few seconds ago, all right, like I value my esophagus and I don't want you to come over here and break it. So right? <laughs> No, she is she's uh it's like it's like they're just they're, they're truly like just more people to her. Well, yeah. and, and me too. I'm a softie with them too. For sure. But the Animals water is where I, that's where I part. That's where I'm like, nope. They've been licking their buttholes all day. All day. So much. You got dog butthole. 
if there was like a pie chart on what they lick, it would be like 35% butthole, like 30% vagina, and then probably like another 15% of just like weird shit in the yard, just dirt and stuff. And then your face is the rest of that. Yeah. And you're like, can I get that in a mixed drink, please? Right. Right. Oh, my God. Oh, my goodness. All right. Well, that's that's a very appropriate place to stop this. Perfect. Um, Thank you so much for being on the first episode of the Romance Records podcast. Uh, Be airing every week. And uh, yeah, best of luck this uh, on your comedy shows. I'm sure they're going to be great. And thank you, uh, thank you. Yeah, looking forward to the future. Thanks so much. Thanks, Chris.